The Flourishing Workplace podcast is all about business and nonprofit leaders who are changing things. It's for the innovators, the risk takers, and the change agents who are going beyond business as usual, and they're creating the future. They are done with the status quo, and they are rising to a new opportunity. They think innovation, and they create it. Whether you're listening at work, at the gym, or on your commute, here you're going to find inspiration for your business or nonprofit to have impact and to create workplaces, people, and communities that flourish. Well, welcome back, everyone. I'm so excited to continue our conversation around belonging. And I have my friend, Shannon, here all the way from Michigan. I'm so excited you've joined us today, Shannon. Thank you. I'm happy to be with you today. Well, and you have a heart for diversity and inclusion. And so I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your experience around that. Sure. So I actually do some DEI consulting work. Um, I work with nonprofits, um, particularly uh, foundations that are trying to think through how they do this work. Um, because a lot of people are very well-meaning and they're interested, but they're not really sure quite where to begin because a predominantly white organization has certain characteristics um, that impact people of color. So there are a lot of lessons to be learned. So um, one of the things that I think is really important is that a lot of people think that, well, if we have diversity and we are achieving the goal, and I would really push back on that thought that it's not about the diversity because you can have diversity and still have segregation and still have people kind of in their isolated spaces. And I think what you're really looking for is how do you develop genuine relationships? So how are we having genuine relationship with people who are different from us based on that, based on their ethnicity? How do we make sure we're not treating them as the other? Mm, that is so good. I, you know, I think that if we can understand that we all have you know, that interesting bias to our own, our own echo chambers. I think that that could be a really great start, like you said. And, and I'm curious, like when, when you think about uh, belonging in the workplace, you know, what do you think are some of the things that, you know, are, are so important? Like we cannot leave these things out. What would those things be? Well, you know, it's interesting. So when I think about belonging, I automatically think about the opposite of belonging, which is othering right? And how we other people, how we make people feel as though they don't belong. You know, is it that their hairstyle makes us otherize them? Is it their form of dress that makes us otherize them in the workplace? And so I think we need to be very careful because what happens, and so, you know, I think it might be helpful for your listeners to kind of think about this. So, you know, take out a sheet of paper when you get a chance and write down the two or three people that you call whenever there's something really big happening in your life, right? And then also think about the people that when the pandemic is over, that you're like, oh my gosh, who are the four or five people that I really want to have dinner with again? Or I really want to meet up with again, because I just miss them. I want them in my house. I need them in my space. Because for most people, when they write down those names or they think about those people, you'll find that they all share the same gender, the same ethnicity, and the same economic class as the person that wrote the list. And so it happens that there is a default for what we consider to be normative and what we consider to be acceptable. So then that happens. And so, so let me talk about what that means in the workplace because you're talking about belonging. So what happens is that let's say there's a new position you want to hire for, right? What happens is that you look within your network and you ask your friends, Hey, do you know anybody that might be good for this? Well, if your network looks just like you and worships just like you 
and lives in the same neighborhood as you, you're never going to get the diversity that you claim you seek because your network isn't diverse. And for most white folks, their networks are usually anywhere from 70 to 90% white. Because the people they work with, the people they worship with, the people they live next door to, all look just like them. When someone comes in, they're not just assimilating to work culture, chances are they're assimilating into white culture. And so there may be things about them that then separate them. You're like, oh, so-and-so isn't a right fit. Well, is it that they weren't a right fit for the work culture or they weren't a right fit for the white culture? Wow, what a statement. Because those are two entirely different things. Yes. So what does it mean to say, oh, we're going to do a potluck and then someone brings food from their culture. And everybody's like, what's that? I don't know what that is. I've never seen that before. Do people have to cover a portion of their identity in order to assimilate into this workspace? Because if I have to cover who I am as a black woman, then I'll never really belong because there are going to be parts of my identity that I can't bring into the workspace, which is really unfortunate because that means there's going to be a part of who I am that you're not going to benefit from knowing the benefit of having me in your workspace not fully because I can't show up fully. Yes. Wow. This is incredible. I love this. I love what you're saying, Shannon. And these are really important things for people to consider. I know that, you know, a lot of workplaces, they'll check off the box. Oh, diversity, inclusion, did a workshop. But what you're saying here is, is you're actually going right for the heart. And so I'm curious, you know, when it comes to leadership, like, one of the things that a lot of people have told me in these interviews is that you don't see a lot of minority people, like it, newcomers to Canada, in my case, rising up in the corporate, they, they're not getting the promotions. And so what would you want employers to know about, about someone who maybe is, is of a different culture? Maybe they're brand new. They, they have a master's degree from their country. What, would, what do we need to know? Um, in as we welcome new people into our countries? Um, I think what you need to ask yourself is, are you doing diversity so you can have their presence? Or are you doing diversity so you can have their leadership? Because for most white people, they have never had to submit to anyone of color in leadership. Because you can ask people, have you ever had a teacher of color? Or when was your first teacher of color? You can ask people, when was, when was, you know, when was your first boss of color? And most people in Canada can't point to that and say, oh yes, my first teacher of color was when I was in second grade or when I was in third grade. Yes, I've had lots of experiences in submitting to leadership that was non-white. And so the reason why that's so important when you talk about being welcoming, are you welcoming people into a hierarchical structure that is not going to allow for them to fully express their leadership? So, you know, as women, we can look back to the 50s and 60s and say, yes, they were very happy to have women in the workplace as long as you were a secretary. And so we think about being welcoming to those that are coming to the country and those that are coming into those positions. Are you welcoming them for a junior position? Are you welcoming them with the understanding that this could someday be your next CEO? Because that's to the extent that you're welcoming, right? You know, think about it in the same way that you welcome someone into your house. Is this someone that you're welcoming into the foyer? Is this somebody that you're welcoming into the kitchen? Because that's a different level of relationship. Yeah. 
And if you're hiring somebody saying, well, they'll be a good cog in the wheel, but this isn't somebody I would, you know, really feel like would be a leadership position. Then you have to ask yourself, why? Why is it that you don't see that person's next CEO? And oftentimes it's because of what we call in-group preferences. And if you don't have enough relationships with people who are different from you, you may never think that this is someone who would be in leadership. And so you may overlook them for stretch opportunities and growth opportunities within your organization. Wow. So if you're going to really welcome them, welcome them into all of it. Welcome them into all of it. This is incredible. This is incredible. This is challenging. Um, it's, it's unfortunate that it's challenging. I think it's sad, but I also see such an opportunity, you know, like you mentioned women, however many years ago, and how now we are welcome in, in places of leadership and we can grow. This is what I would hope. This is what I hope these conversations are heading towards is, is where now we will see, we will see people moving beyond just the check mark, just beyond the place we put them in to being fully accepted, fully engaged, just because of who they are and their presence and not because of what they bring. It's beautiful. In many ways, you're, you're calling us a little higher, Shannon. I love that. No, I think it's, it's really critical when we think about the shooting that happened in Atlanta with the Asian women and, you know, the fact that shooters like, well, I wasn't targeting them because they were Asian. I was targeting them because of what I believe their profession was. To me, that's so disingenuous. She went right to an Asian establishment. And I think to your point, part of it is calling things what they are and naming them for what they are. And too often we're very polite with our language. I mean, I really appreciate, you know, that um, whole idea of Canadian politeness as, you know, your neighbor to the South. Um, but at the same time, if you don't name it, you can't address it. And so we have to move beyond polite language to calling a thing a thing. Um, you know, there've been some great strides in Canada around land acknowledgement for the indigenous population and First Nations people. You know, there's been some conversation around that, but it, I don't believe it's gone deep enough. And I say this as someone who's been a frequent visitor to um, Ontario. Um, throughout my life, just because of proximity, right? Um, but there has to be a deeper conversation that looks at, you know, what are the historic, what have been the historic barriers to people of color gaining employment, having full citizenship, and truly being seen as valuable members of the workplace? And that goes back to when have they been seen as fully human? Because oftentimes the laws have been codified in a way that prevent people from having access. So to put it in my US context, when you look at the constitution, it's very clear that there's a line, there's a distinction because in the constitution, it said that Africans were only considered three fifths of a person. And when they referred to Native Americans, they referred to them as savages. That's in the original document. And so I think people need to be aware of what are the original documents and what are some of the early laws in Canada that state who is allowed to serve, who's allowed to be free. I mean, because you know, Canada has a very challenging history when it comes to race, and it's not often discussed. And so in order for there to be, in order for you to move forward, there has to be an acknowledgement of that history, and there has to be an awareness of that history. People need to go back and say, so when was slavery ended in Canada? When were Black people allowed to be truly, you know, full citizens? And were there areas in Canada where Black people were prevented from owning land? Were there places where they were prevented from having certain jobs? 
what did discrimination look like and what is it what did it look like then what does it look like now yeah wow you're so right and i mean we're just skimming the surface now like you've said you know with discovering what treaty 7 actually was it, it totally took away land the Indian Act telling women that once they leave their reserve, if they're a single mom, they are cut off from all of the financial benefits. I mean, these are just starting to be exposed. As a young Canadian growing up in the 80s, we never even heard of res residential schools because they were going on. And so it, you're right. And I love that idea of just, we need to call a spade a spade. We need to call it out. We need to, we can do it with kindness, but assertiveness. It's time to do something. It's time, you know, we're all saying the right things. We're all liking it on Instagram. We all want belonging and inclusion, but it's time to actually put some action to it. And I think that's what I really love about what I'm hearing from you, Shannon, is you're a woman of action. Yeah, and I guess so the other, the thing I would just want your listeners to really walk away with is just, so what are you committing to do differently now that you've heard this? Because it's great to listen to this, but you need to decide what kind of personal action steps you're going to take, because it's not just about individuals. The Western mentality is to look at everything through an individual lens. And I think we have to look at what systems are in place. I mean, it's the kind of thing that says, okay, so when do women have the right to vote? Because that's a systemic issue, right? So then you change that system so that every woman can vote. So what are the systemic issues and problems that are keeping people of color from living a full life of citizenship and blessing within the Canadian context? And so how do those systems need to be dismantled? So what does that look like? What is my responsibility? Because for a lot of white people, they just haven't really, they don't have a lot of time into these conversations. And so it's really important. They spend some time doing the research and building up the stamina, right? So if you think about it like a marathon, you don't just go out and run a marathon the first day, but you have to begin to build your stamina. That research has shown that babies start recognizing color as early as six months. So I, as a black woman, have been talking about race ever since I can remember some of my earliest memories are conversations that were, that were race was included and race is something that impacts my everyday, never not being impacted by it, whether it's because of how I'm going to be treated in a store. You know, when they told us all that we were going to have a mask mandate in my state, I was like, how am I going to make sure that no one thinks I'm trying to rob the place, right? These are questions that are everyday questions for me. But if you're white and you haven't had an everyday experience, then you've got to build up the stamina to be in these conversations. And it's not the responsibility of people of color to educate you. There's so many things out there now, whether they're podcasts or their books or their documentaries, like there's no reason for people not to begin to seek these things out. If nothing else, just do a Wikipedia search. I mean, it's there. Yeah. Um, and to build up your stamina and your knowledge base so that you can then enter into real genuine relationships with people without them feeling like they, it's their responsibility to educate you. That's powerful. That is so powerful. And so... That's, I think, where we're going to leave it. What are we going to do about it? All of the listeners and myself included, you know, what are we going to do? What is our action item? Whether it's get on Wikipedia today and do a little research, uh, Netflix, you know, get on some documentaries, take, take the University of YouTube and Google and, and see what, what comes up. And Shannon, thank you. Thank you for sharing um, with us today, just a little, a little piece of this. And honestly, everything you've said, I just felt um, so convicted in a good way and moved and, and uh, with a resolve uh, to stand with you as much as I can and keep going forward. So thank you for being here with us today. No, thank you for having me.